This is War Council. Uh, I'm Caleb Dillon with White Metal Games. I'm Phil Corman with Brushwork Minis. And War Council is a hobby-centered podcast for miniature enthusiasts. Today is uh, March, or no, April 6th, April 7th, uh, 2016. And today's episode, we're going to be talking about style and uh, artistic interpretation. We're going to be speaking with Brandon of uh, GMM or uh, as it's informally known, Gray Matter Musings. Um, Brandon is an independent artist who owns and runs and operates his own one-man studio operation. Uh, where is he located at? He's out in the I west I think it's somewhere. Indiana, actually. Yeah. I don't know anything about Indiana other than what I learned on the middle by watching like <laughs> very funny shows about yeah. Indiana, which just tells it me it's flat. Cold winters, I think. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> um, well, cold winters, but he uh, has been recently heating up things at Adepticon. He brought mm-hmm. a, uh, a charity army to Adepticon this year. He's always a big participant in Adepticon, so we're going to talk to him about that. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk to him about all of his different painting ventures and, and how he runs his studio. Uh, more on that later in the show when we get into our tips on technique. For now, though, we're going to jump into our intro uh, and uh, intro this week for me is all about money. I'm going to talk a little bit about <laughs> cash flow. Um, this is certainly something that I think that everyone sort of struggles with, but with new businesses, I learned two important lessons this week. I'm going to kind of summarize those real quick. So about a week ago, I kind of told you this. We always have these different payment methods on the website. We have, we have uh, PayPal. People can send in checks. We take cash in person, that kind of thing. But I've always wanted to add credit cards as a payment option to the website. So I got really, uh, I felt like I got really smart, and I added a credit card payment option to the website, and it was called Simplicity. It's, it's offered by MasterCard. And uh, to make a long story short, I took two deposits for models using this, this system called Simplify before it was shut down. Uh, and they shut it down due to this, this idea called chargebacks. And the basic idea is that uh, whenever you have an item, let's say if I go, to the, um, I go to the mall and I buy a T-shirt, there's a chance I'm going to bring that T-shirt back. And uh, the general window for returning merchandise is something like 30 days, 60 days. So they have a window of opportunity where that's considered a liability. So make a long story short, uh, when this money comes into an account, they hold it for you for 60 days, which means those two deposits, which total about $500, are sitting in somebody's bank somewhere uh, under MasterCard two months. for two months. So that's two months that I couldn't Sir. use that money to buy materials, I couldn't use it to pay artists, so I had to, I had to shuffle money around to make that work. Um, to make matters a little bit worse, uh, one of our newest clients out in the, uh, out in, uh, the UK is in Denmark. Uh, does that make him Danish or Danish? I don't know how that really works. I think it's Danish. Danish. Um, Danish sounds like a sweet. Yeah. Like <laughs> so um, he he sent us a bank transfer, which took way too long to figure out how to make that work, um, bank to bank. But that one was held up because they couldn't get the account numbers straight. So that one was setting. I don't know where those things set when they were in, in international waters. Um, so I had about twenty five hundred dollars coming in from various clients that I just couldn't do shit with for like a week, wow, and that's awful. like that kind of throws your whole operation off. When you're a small business and when your when your gross income in a month is less than you know for us it's around five or six k in gross a month, uh, it, it's it's like half of your money is setting in an account yeah. somewhere. So imagine like. How do you pay your bills when you have half the money a month? And how do you pay for food when you have half the money for a month? So this is kind of my, my advice to any of you miniature people out there. Uh, uh, cash is great. <laughs> Certainly cash is king, as I'm learning now. Uh, checks are also very good, as long as they clear. And uh, PayPal, the 2.8% or 2.9% or whatever they take for that, plus 30 cents per transaction, is well worth it when you yeah, manage definitely. your cash flow. It is absolutely yeah. the price of doing business. 
you know. I mean, even with the international transfer, there was some fees. Um, so you're always going to lose some money unless it's a, a check or cash. But um, for, for new painting studios out there that are getting started, I would say avoid the credit route for the time being because 60 days in escrow is a long time for money to set yeah. in somebody else's account. Uh, and then after 60 days, I have to follow up with them to have them, like, it has to still be approved. It can set longer than that. In fact, oh, in that's theory, the minimum? Yeah. <laughs> 60 is the Wonderful. minimum. In theory, you can set indefinitely. And they're wow. like, well, if you can prove to us you, you shipped those items with, like, invoices paid and tracking numbers. And I was like, uh, I mean, that's not really how it works. Like, yeah. we, haven't, we haven't built these yet. <laughs> so, I don't know. It was an interesting sort of lesson to learn. Um, but what have you, you're kind of, you know, how did, well, with Archaon, for example, has that guy paid you for that model yet? He has not paid me for that. Although <laughs> so you're I have cash flow, too. So <laughs> we're all having day, cash flow issues. Yeah. I would definitely recommend, for him, he was somebody I knew, so I didn't do like a 50% deposit or anything sure. like that. Typically, I think from here on out, I definitely will yeah. require that, especially for something as big as that, because that's... Um, I mean, in the past, I've required, like, a 25% deposit or materials, whichever is higher. Yeah. So, like, if the materials on a project are, like, a grand, I require a grand. If the if the 25% deposit is only, like, 800, I require 800. Um, but it just, it depends. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to strong arm, strong arm my client. I'm just trying to be like, look, this is, this is the minimum it costs to get started. You know, just to, just to even get the materials. Yeah. So... But when are you supposed to go up to Northern Virginia um, to uh, to drop that model off? Is it sometime Two soon? weekends. Okay. So, so you're actually... April 16th. So I've, all right. So I just cut you a couple big checks the last couple of weeks. Then I got more money coming in. Yeah. Man, you're just rolling. I'll be good for you. You're just like, I'm good to go. Just good because right. my next project isn't in yet. So. That's true. <laughs> yeah. We are currently waiting on the Stormcast Eternals to roll in. So with that, why don't we take a quick break and when we jump back in, we'll jump in on the painting desk. We'll talk about everything we've been painting on this week and we'll be right back after this. Hey guys, it's Caleb with War Council. Are you a purveyor of stuff? Are you an entrepreneur with something to preneur? Do you sell things related to tabletop gaming, painting, or some other aspect of the miniatures hobby? Would you like to advertise to like at least three listeners a show? Then you've come to the right place. War Council has a limited number of sponsorship slots available. Each slot guarantees you a banner ad on the White Metal Games website, and we're like 300 likes on Facebook right now, so clearly at least 300 people can be bothered to click the like button at some point in time in their lives. For $20 a month, we'll promote you and your products on the show. For $10 more, you can have an entire 30-second commercial, like this one, only, you know, better and more relevant and stuff. Email us at info at for more information, and until you do, put your manis where your mouth is. All right, guys, welcome back. We're going to jump into On the Painting Desk. Um, so I'm going to start this off this week. So uh, first off, um, uh, we're finishing up the second Mad Max Army this week. We're in the finishing stages of it. It's taken a little bit longer than I thought it would, and I think part of that is just due to so many other small projects coming in that I've, I've been kind of mismanaging my time a little bit. And um, But the client seems to be pretty satisfied I'm eager to get it done. I'm working on the display board right now. So that should be done this weekend. So look for pictures of that coming up. Hopefully I'll post a couple quick pictures on Instagram. But the boys are almost all done and uh, working on the vehicles now. Um, those are a little more frustrating than I thought they would be because each one's just a little bit different. Yeah. It's like they're different levels of rust, different levels of, of corrosion and stuff. Um, pretty unique from yeah. what I've seen. So it's a lot of extra work. It is. And uh, one of the things I like about it is that I don't, I like that every vehicle is different, so I can I can mix it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not like 
well, what you did a couple weeks ago where you painted 10 Razorbacks, where it's pretty much assembly lines, like right. you know, in and out, in and out. And while that's faster, um, there's something to be said for this. Um, so it, this is going to come with a custom Thunderdome board, um, which was quite the challenge to kind of figure that out. I went through several iterations of Thunderdomes. Uh, finally, the version I settled on seems to be a uh, pasta strainer back from the 40s <laughs> that nice. uh, I flipped upside down and cut the handle off, and I'm going to basically use that. Um, I've had to watch the scenes from Mad Max Thunderdome a couple times to kind of get a sense for the layout. And uh, basically, it's just like uh, Tatooine, but, you know, it's just any desert community. It's a bunch of hmm. bunch of stone huts and hatches and stuff. And uh, So that's getting finished up now. Just finished up the Warp Spider proxies for um, Pablo out at Frontline Gaming uh, on the West Coast. We're going to be talking with those guys in a couple weeks on our next podcast. We're going to be talking about tournaments and uh, tournament organization and TOs and the rules that they use to govern tournaments. Um, so before we jump on to more of my mess, what have you been working on recently? Well, uh, finishing up a lot of those small odd and end, odds and ends projects. Uh, I guess four different projects. Yeah, four um, different projects, four different clients. Yeah, so Kingdom Death, uh, just continue working on that. Um, so this week you did six unique survivors. So yeah. that was kind of a nice change of pace. Yeah, some of the named survivors, Paul, Aya, there's a couple of different snow, like yeah. these are all special characters. So um Which one is the Angelina Jolie Tomb Raider knockoff? What's her name? That I think is the, Aya. Aya, the girl in there. So that sounds kind of Russian. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she had some they all have like unique things that you can do with them too special weapons that only fit them and is it cold in the kingdom death setting because they're all wearing next to nothing except for her she's got like a cotton sweater that seems a little I'm not confusing. sure so i think i mean it's definitely dark yeah. everything is dark yeah it's but, all, it doesn't, but i guess you can't really imply temperature through pictures but. yeah i want to say it's probably cold i mean yeah. it's kingdom death so yeah, just yeah. take the harshest yeah, yeah, sure, <laughs> it's everything rule of death is what too. they call it so, it's not like it's a nice balmy room. The stone faces—they yeah. give that cold feel. That does sound cold. Although all the pictures look like orgies. Like every time I watch a picture, it's like either they're either about to have sex or they just had sex or everyone's having sex. Yeah, like, I so. guess a little bit. Or it's very gore and graphic. Or both. Yeah. Or it could be like an orgy with like a slaughter <laughs> or something like that. You know, I don't like know. I, I've gone through the rule book a lot. It's not a, as bad as you're depicting. I don't know. <laughs> I'm looking at the pictures online. I'm there are a lot of sexual This is one step away themes. from anime porn. Yeah, like, it's close. Yeah. Um, Alright, so you so you worked on some of the, the anime porn kingdom death. Very yep. good. Oh, yeah, and then moving on, what are <laughs> some other stuff you worked on? Uh, we did a Thief of Hearts. Um, so that well, she's I, a Dark Sword miniatures model. Yeah, I have never worked with any of their stuff, so this is the first time. It's pretty good, actually. It's good quality. The pewter was fit together pretty nicely. Yeah, it looked clean. Um, so it was. It, she was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, she's kind of flying on these angelic wings. Although it kind of, she had a more of a darker feel to her. She had the yeah. horns that we did. She um, for this for this particular client, he's using her in an RPG, like a D and D game or a Pathfinder game, I think. Mm-hmm. And she's like a, a demon, kind of like a succubus. So yeah. she's an outsider. Um, so hopefully none of his players are listening to this because I don't think that they know that yet. Oh. Um, so she's got. So we gave her some little horns, which fortunately the Kingdom Death Sprue has tons of horns left over mm-hmm. from like um, one of the one of the sets. Screaming, screaming for survivors. Scre- yeah, yeah. Uh, tons of. Them. <laughs> and then we swapped out her scepter for kind of a whip, so kind of gave her like a you know kind of a. Well, it's kind of a sexy feel. Like a dominatrix. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a dominatrix. 
Um, so you did that one, and then you also did Narthrax. As yes. Well. So a red. I guess it's a red dragon, right? I yeah. Well, it's a resin bones dragon. It's not traditionally considered red. Although every time I've painted it, I've painted it red. Oh, okay. Because it feels like a red dragon to me. I mean, it works for a bones miniature. I was actually pretty happy with yeah. the. It was a decent model for how much it costs. It's great. Yeah. And, um, we won't... I think the bigger ones have have deeper lines. Like the, I think the cast yeah, works better detail. for the big ones. Yeah, yeah. definitely. So it did more of like an OSL mouth fire dragon kind of idea. So hopefully we'll get some pictures up there. You'll be able to see it. Yeah, it looks um, really good. The other project was there was a three RPG project. So there was a duplicate of um, I can't remember her name. Anlin. Anlin or Anlin. She's yeah. a Reaper miniature. She's a bard. Yeah. She's got like a, a flute or something. Mm-hmm. Um, she's actually pretty. She's a pretty decent little pose. Yeah, like I like her a lot. Good detail. Um, and then there was two dark elf. I think there's like a dark elf. Witch Doctor or Dark Yeah, like, something like sorceress. that. I, I, he's called, um, I think his cult name is Mordwellin or Mordwellin or something like that. He's a Reaper figure as well. And he's like a Dark Elf. I think Shaman maybe is the best yeah. way to put it, but something like that. And then there was an Assassin. Yeah. And so those are just painted to the, I guess, the standard on the Reaper website. Yeah, I mean, whatever those artists, like, they always have some target artists that have done some stuff for them in the past. I realized, like, I mean, all the artists, don't get me wrong, are very good, but, like, we could easily, like, I mean, I really need to reach out to them and be like, hey, we paint a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. If we come up with a new color scheme for one of these models that you haven't painted before, like, I need to get in with them. Like, how do they do yeah. that? Like, how do they hire the artists for that? Well, because... some of them are very, like, the Assassin had two different color schemes. Right. One of them was really well executed, for yeah. the most part. The other one, not so much. Yeah, the so other one looked like sure something, like, a regular painter might have Yeah. Been. Or, a, you know, not a, not a tabletop painter. It was a little bit better than that. But mm-hmm. it wasn't what I would call, like, pro painting. It was like... No. Yeah. So I wonder if they have a form where you can send in sample colors, or I wonder how that works. I don't really know. I reached out to them about a month ago about a podcast, but um, I didn't hear back from them, um, which is fine. I imagine that they're pretty busy guys. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but if, 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 if we do get an opportunity, we'll definitely reach out to them again. Um, and then you moved on. You did um, you did some, some 40K, not much. Yeah. So the fourth and final was a Lord Executioner, Ultramarines. Um, so that's a special character guy. He's got a big axe. and He's uh, kind of like the Marine of equivalent of... Um, there's a Dark Angels character that carries an axe. He looks like a heavy metal rocker. I forget what his name is. Um, but he kind of is their equivalent of that. Okay. Um, like the Blood Angels have this guy, and he's got this long hair, and he's got a big axe, and he's... Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. I can't think of what his name is. Uh, yeah. uh, I used him... To, it starts with an A, I think. Yeah, I think it's... I want to, like thinking anthrax. That's not. It's right. not it. It's like yeah, agrax. It's I think disease. though. I think it's like something like that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so the Lord <laughs> Executioner is kind of, I think, a marine version of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's got a jump pack. Yeah, he's he's the jump other guy, pack. I think, has a jump pack too. He does. Yeah, he does so. have a jump pack. But he's got these big wings that kind of, I think, mm-hmm. you know, make it bigger. He seems like yeah. this angel of death kind of. Um, mm-hmm. But that was a great thing you, you did. So that was gold level. Looked yeah. nice. And then uh, there was five tactical marines that kind of went along with him that were at. Silver slash Electrum kind of level. It was a yeah. mix. So a little more detail on the face of the uh, commander, uh, transfers, all that. So I think that as you... And on the sergeant, too. The sergeant was just immaculate. He was actually really great. I think that as you become better as a painter, mm-hmm. it's harder and harder to sort of paint down because you find yourself... like. And I think this is true for all of us that we get... Like, I've learned certain tricks over the years that I'm like, this is an easy, quick way to, yeah. to make it look better. So rather than paint down, we paint up, but we paint up faster. Um, so we just yeah. we just learn to paint a little bit quicker, and I think yeah, definitely more detail. I mean, it's going to be, I mean, we yeah, definitely get faster at right. it, and maybe I don't know. This is something we have to discuss, but eventually, 
you know, pricing structure may change as a result it, of that. It will change for sure. Yeah. Um, like, for example, um, Denim Imagination, uh, we, uh, we constantly are sort of measuring ourselves against other painters, at least I am, and that are painting studios. And um, they no longer even offer what they used to call adept level which is probably what we would call bronze. Mm-hmm. So they don't even offer that anymore. They've just decided as a company that it's it's beneath their standards, I think. Is a, now, I, I, don't quote me on that, but I think what they're saying is that, like, look, we don't, we're, we're, we don't do that anymore. If you want to find someone that paints to that level, find somebody else. Yeah. Um, and to be frank, we have not got a bronze commission in a long time. Yeah. So even though we have it as an option on the website... It's mostly there as a price point. It's like, mm-hmm. look, we can do that, but I'm not, I don't ever push it. I'm never like, it's always a last ditch. Like, if you really want this, we'll do it. But, but look, I'm going like to really. budget might be really low. Right. Yeah, because I don't want to tell people no. Um, and if that was the case, I would probably pass that off to one of our newer artists. Like, mm-hmm. you know, someone that's kind of come in that, that's like, you know, looking, who's hungrier for work than we are. Like, we're, we're, we're able to take on some of the, we're able to pick and choose a little bit on our projects. We don't have to take every project that comes our way. Mm-hmm. Bronze is an option for clients that are looking to save money. And in fact, a lot of times clients who are looking to... I'll say what it is a good option for, in my opinion, is to do the base work. Like, to get most of the work out of the way. Mm-hmm. Get the base colors on the model. And then you take it and you do the finishing work. So you can take it and do some of the details at home. Do the eyes. Do the, do the, the fine details. Do the buttons. Do the clasps. Mm-hmm. Do the pouches. Do all that yourself. So you're doing uh, 25% of the work. We handle the 75% of the work. And um, in the end, you feel like you participated in your model. So that's, that's what I think bronze is good for. Um, but All right. Well, uh, for me, I, uh, I'm finishing out my week uh, with um, uh, the second start collecting set for Event Horizon Games. This one's Nurgle. And I'll be honest, in like 10 years of playing, I have, uh, or, or not 10 years of playing, the last 10 years of painting, I have realized I have never painted, other than like a few Nurgle Demon Princes, I have never painted basic Nurgle Demons before. Really? Uh, and they're great. They're super wonderful to paint. It's just like a couple layers of green. You wash it down with as much filth and detritus as you want. <laughs> like... You really can't go wrong. Like, the contrasting colors are nice and easy. They pop on the models. Yeah. Um, for the Blight Drones, I kind of went with this cockroachy kind of scheme where it's black and some big bright oranges. And, um, <laughs> so, yeah, for sure. I'm going to throw a lot of gloss on there when it's nice and done. And uh, I, I'm really enjoying it. I'm really, I'm really satisfied with how they're turning out. So I'm glad that that fell into my lap inadvertently. Um, so, yeah, there's lots of stuff on our painting desk. We've obviously got room for more. Our painting queue right now is pretty full up, but we certainly are taking commissions. Um, now that we're in early April, we're sort of starting to look for our projects to to, to fill up our May slash June calendar. So right now we've got we've got projects lined up for until about mid June, so about the next six weeks. But um, if you are interested, uh, we certainly are, are eager to sort of book some stuff for late spring, early summer. Um, you can reach out to us at info at whitemetalgames.com. Let us know what you're in the mood for. We'll be happy to send you an estimate or a quote for services. The estimates are free. We usually get back to you within about 24 hours or so. Um, and uh, if the estimate comes in and you're, you know, you're like, this is too high, don't just dissuade us. Like, talk to us about it. Let us know your budget. We're happy to work with you on that. We take payments. Um, so we're, we're really here to try to make your miniature projects come to life. We're not trying to, like, break your bank. We're just trying to, to keep things going. So if you're interested, reach out to us, info at whymetalgames.com. We'll be happy to provide a quote for you. Uh, all right, well, we're going to take a brief break, and when we jump back in, we're going to jump back in with our rotating segment. We're going to be talking about segment. segment. We're going to be talking about our conversion service, which is a unique service we offer. Uh, and we will be right back after this.
If you're interested in advertising on War Council, let us know. We can be reached at warcouncil at whitemetalgames.com. Rates are extremely competitive, but there are limited slots available, so please contact us soon. Hey guys, welcome back. We're going to jump into our, our rotating segment, which uh, this week is going to again be Special Spotlight. Um, so, well, I've got to come up with a different name for that. It's hard to say. <laughs> so the idea is that we're going to talk to you about one of the services we offer at White Metal Games and Brushwork Minis. Um, there's a lot of different services we offer. Um, it's not just painting and assembly. Some services just do that, but mm-hmm. I found very quickly that you can't really limit yourself that way. Um, yeah. We do magnetization. We do assembly. We do uh, display boards now. We do terrain. Um, and another thing we offer is conversion, which is, um, uh, well, basically conversion is just modifying a model. Uh, in any sort of meaningful way. Um, I distinguish it on the website as a difference between kit bashing and conversion. Kit bashing being, I, I, can, I consider it under 50% difference on the model, and I conver- can consider converting anything over 50%. Um, I don't know, how do you okay. classify, like, because when I had to come up with the, the vernacular, I had to sort of be like, well, this is, how, this is, this is an easy way to think of it. But. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that's a smart way to break it down. I never really thought about the differences mm-hmm. between those two things, and I don't do a ton of it myself. Sure. I do more, a little bit kit bashing, a little bit of uh, magnetization. I can do that. But conversion I think, traditionally, really... I think traditionally people think of kit bashing as when you swap out bits. Yeah. Whereas converting is like making a major change, yeah. like swapping out a whole arm or a whole segment or adding a cloak or adding muscles or adding wings or... Um, so there needed to be a quick and easy way to distinguish that, so that's why I kind of did it. You do some conversion work. I mean, I've seen you yeah. do some stuff. A little bit here and there, but, I mean, when it comes to, like, the real big stuff, like, I've seen, your work is really good. I've seen I all the that. nurgling stuff that you've done, like the nurgle, I was, it was the Heldrake that you redid, oh, yeah. put the wings on. Like, there's a lot of work that went into that. And yeah. It requires a special vision, I think, to be able to do something like that. So it's not something I practice a lot of. Sure. Um, I think for a lot of people, and I hear this a lot more and more, is that they're very, they're kind of scared, for lack of a better word, when they buy a big expensive kit, like, let's say Heldrake, for example. Heldrake runs $75 retail. Even if yeah. you get it through a, a redistributor, like on eBay, you're still looking at least 60 bucks with shipping. Yeah. That's a lot of money to cut apart. Um, mm-hmm. Like that's like taking sixty dollars and maybe maybe throwing it away, or at least that's the way people think. Yeah, about it. it's hard to think about a kit as a collection of parts that could be used for other stuff. I, I think that for me, when I was growing up, I, I just really was into like blocks and stuff, for lack of a better word. <laughs> so I was always I was always trying to build something new with my imagination. Mm-hmm. And um, as I got older. Like, we would take, like, He-Man toys and we would repaint them and color them and stuff. And uh, so I think for me, I was always kind of, like, one step away from this. And then when I got into gaming, it just gave me permission. And, and I really have to kind of thank uh, GW, in a way, for getting me into it. Because the Tyranid Codex came out and they had all these new model options, but they didn't have the kits. So we were forced to kind of learn to build stuff. So that's really yeah. what what gave me that that final push i just started building shit and like some stuff worked some stuff didn't and as we went we learned new techniques and it all was it was fine mm-hmm. um but there are there was a lot of like if you look back at our early portfolio it was pretty crappy it was, <laughs> it was pretty much junk like we took like a bunch of kenner alien toys and glued some like tearing bits <laughs> on them and try to seal up the edges but now we've gotten much better at it mm-hmm. um, if you look at our conversion gallery these days you'll see um a lot of good stuff you'll see sculpted musculature you'll see um you know hand sculpted details um you'll see uh you know very successful blending and transitioning between 
uh, organic material and inorganic materials. So really, we've, we've got a lot of practice at it. Um, if you go to our webpage, White Metal Games uh, slash services, and then you drill down to conversions, there'll be a page there called conversions. I've provided the link here in the show notes. Um, you can find examples of our previous work. You can find how we price it out. Um, really, we kind of price it out based on the assembly cost of the model. And for kit bashing, for simple kit bashing, we don't usually charge anything. Like if it's something simple like swapping out like a gun or something, we don't charge you for yeah. that. Uh, if it's something complicated, like swapping out entire parts on models, we keep the price pretty low. It, it's not until you get into really scratch builds where it's like major, major stuff. Like the, the Nurgle Demons were a really good example of that. Mm -hmm. Like those, the big Helldrake ones, those were almost scratch builds. Because there were so many parts from so many different pieces that had to come together to make that work. Um, but that's the kind of stuff we love, we're great at it, we, we, we've gotten much, much better at it over the years. And uh, we're confident in it. And we've got a huge collection of bits to draw on. So no two models are ever alike. And um, everyone is usually very satisfied with the service. So um, be sure to check it out, whitemetalgames.com slash services. And then just drill down to conversions. And you'll be able to check out all of our work there. Um, and bear in mind, we do offer just assembly services as well. So if you have a project and you want to paint it yourself, but you're not confident in how to build or convert it, that's okay. Um, you can simply contact us. We'll give you a quote just for assembly and converting, and then we'll happily ship you the model back unpainted, and you can finish it out yourself. That way you can kind of participate in your own project. Yeah. You know, I'll just feel like you, know, you just handed it off. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we jump back in, we're going to be on the line with Brandon of GMM Studios, uh, and we are very excited to speak with him, so we, let's not waste any time. We'll be right back after this. Need a model assembled or painted but no money to spare? White Metal Games is now offering trade-ins. Send us pictures of your old models, bits, boxes, even new kits. Make us an offer we can't refuse. Don't like negotiating and haggling? White Metal Games also offers consignment services. You can send us your old models, books, games to sell. We sell them through our eBay store and you pocket 55% of the sales price. You don't have to worry about eBay fees, PayPal fees, shipping fees, there's no crazy percentages, just easy money. Contact us at info at whitemetalgames.com today. Hey guys, welcome back. We're going to jump into uh, Tips on Technique tonight, and this evening we're interviewing Brandon from GMM. Uh, Brandon, welcome to the show. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. So, um, Brandon, GMM, it stands for Gray Matter Musings, is that correct? That's right. So just off the top of my head, how did you come up with that name for your painting studio? Well, that name is very old. I've been doing this for a long time, and really the story behind that is boring. And GMM is me, and I am GMM. And You don't sound that old. <laughs> yeah. You say a long time. I, well, you I'm mean 31. Like, I know I just don't. Old. I probably don't sound that's that old. not old at all. <laughs> but by a long time, you mean for a 31-year-old a long time. Yeah. yeah. Okay, very good. Uh, so you're a one-man operation. You're operating out in Indiana. Yep. Nice. Um, we were talking before the show, we literally know nothing about Indiana other than what we've seen on the middle. Like, Indiana's not bad. It, yeah. it could have better weather, but it could also be worse. So it's pretty. Me it was cold. Uh, I figured it was cold. I mean, yeah. it's northern. Yeah. <laughs> so right. why don't you tell us a little bit about GMM Studios, like how you got started and uh, what got you into the hobby and maybe, uh, I don't know, a little bit about like your life as a professional painter. Do you do this full time? Do you do it part time? Like... Uh, well, to start, you know, the, the I get the full-time, you know, people meet me at conventions and stuff. I get the, are you full-time, are you part-time question a lot. And it is full-time, and really, anymore, people ask me that the appropriate question or answer is, 
really it's beyond full full time and it's more like a lifestyle. It's my natural state is working and then sometimes I have to do other things. So uh that's I get I get exactly what you mean by that. Yeah. <laughs> but I, that's it's because I enjoy it and you know I found something I really love in my life and um you know like I said that's just that's it's full time and uh it's what I'm always doing. In terms of past, uh you know going way back uh, you know, I'll go way back, but keep it short. Um, <laughs> you know, when we were all young, we played with toys. You know, it kind of transitioned into this over the years. And when I was little, it was 50-50 equally the action figures and the play sets. I was just as excited about the play sets and the dioramas and things like that. You know, I have Ghostbusters, and I would take a chair and put a box on top, and that was the fire station. Sure. And that really, and actually, at one point, my parents bought a white kitchen table, and that was Hoth for like two years. So nice. <laughs> you see a lot of that, you know, going yeah. forward into my work. It's very important that my my work is uh, very alive, and that's why I do a lot of the terrain I do. It's not always necessarily for anything but pictures, but that's important to me. And nowadays, you know, I look at painted models online, and you see them. You see the like kind of the light box image. And to me, I've done this for so long that it just that just doesn't feel the same to me. And so when I take a picture of a model, when I go to do photography of a whole army, I want each picture to look like I caught something. Um, and you know, psychologically, that goes all the way back to when I was a kid. And uh, playing with action figures was as much the setting as the figures themselves. Okay, that's I imagine kind of, that's a lot of your clients feel the same way. I mean. Yeah, and that's, you know, there's, we can talk about this later, you know, how there's different kinds of painters, and you always get that question of, uh, I'll have people ask me, you know, what's, what's the deal with this painter or that painter, and they're all different, and for me, my, uh, the little space I've carved out is when people want a very specific vision, they have a dream army that they want, it's big, um, when they want that project that is the passed down to your kids kind of project, and you have a very specific vision, it's very thematic, and you want to look really good. So that is my sort of, uh, like I said, something I've carved out. Sure. That kind of reminds me of your website. I think you, you kind of called your website on the first page or something like uh, Brandon Palmer's World or Little World yeah, or and something that, like that. And like I said, this all sort of boils down and goes. everything's kind of tied together of, I mean, they're toys. You know, people people try and make Warhammer and miniatures to be something really big and um, you know really it's it's toys for adults and there's nothing wrong with that and sure. my thinking behind it is sort of the same way it's just it's celebrating it and that's what all of this sort of crazy photography and terrain and everything I do mixed in um, that's where that comes from well, Philip you've commented on his terrain backdrops quite a bit and in yeah. fact I mean we've seen a couple of them and obviously you do different ones for uh, like Adepticon, your projects there every year. Like that's it's kind of a celebration there where you do a new one every year. But mm-hmm. just for your general photography, you've got a couple of like very stylistic backgrounds. Like there's a, a ruined city, I think, with a bunch of rooftops, and it mm-hmm. does very much feel kind of like you're you're capturing like a maison scene. Like you're you're seeing like a scene in a movie play out with with these specific soldiers right. marching off to war, and it does kind of feel like that. Um, and also, I feel it makes it more memorable, too. I mean, like I can remember a lot of detailed armies that you've done um, based on the backdrops. I feel like a lot of other armies, like I see from, like, Awakened Realms and things, yeah. like, I, they look cool at first, and then I, they kind of just float away. Like, I and I mean, yeah, them. and that's this is something that I have to, you know, stress a lot. And when I say that, you know, another painter does this or another painter does that, 
and I prefer to do this. There's nothing wrong with how they're doing it. It's just my style is um, a certain way. And, it, you know, to me, it feels dead unless there is very cinematic photography and that's something that's important. Sure. I mean, it sounds like for you, like this is sort of a way to connect to your childhood and yeah. your your clients are connecting to that in the same way. Because, right. like, I mean, you know, kind of how you describe your childhood, that's very similar to the way my childhood was. We played mm -hmm. with, you know, we played with dioramas and action sets. And I remember all of the stuff you were describing and like we had like a room in our house that was kind of set aside for play. And you know, for us, it was kind of our, our sandbox. It was like we could kind of go in there and be as imaginative as we want. And all you're doing is giving your yourself and your clients permission to do the same, which is, I think, really great. Yeah. Right. Well, it's, it's basically, it's, I live every day, like that feeling you got when you were a kid, it was Saturday morning, you can do whatever the heck you want, you know, and you can make whatever you want. Sure. And you wake up one day and you think, well, I want to do this and I want to make this, this would look great. And that's, I'm very lucky to be able to do that, but I also just run with it because I know that I'm very uh, lucky and uh, to to have the ability to do that. You know, not not everybody can do that, has the time to do that. Um, so how did you make the transition from Saturday morning cartoons to miniature painting? Like, what was the, what was the gap there? Like, for because for me, for example. I got I was in Saturday morning cartoons. My friends were into 40K, started playing 40K, started paying 40K. You know what? I can probably sell 40K. And that was kind of like the natural progression, obviously in, in much bigger steps. But like, well, so it was, you, it was similar to that. that. That moment for me was, I think I was 12 or 13. I went into a game store. And, you know, you, we all have that moment when not everybody was young when they found Warhammer. But if you were young, you had that moment where you go in and you see holy crap, these are toys that I can put together and they have rules. I can play, you know, roll dice with them. I can, I remember the, the, the greatest moment in Warhammer for me was I realized, I looked down, there's a starter set in my hand and there's a box of goblins and I can just buy these goblins and put them in my army and play with them and I get to build them and paint them and all this other stuff. So that was the, the moment in my mind of transition from toys into Warhammer. Sure. Nice. That's and I never really did get into D&D &D or anything like that. So that... So my transition is is a little bit different than a lot of people because a lot of people that play Warhammer have a background in D and D. Um, well, I think that role, war gamers and role players are not stretch are not you know they're not they're they're similar. Like I I do both for example. Mm -hmm. Like I do role playing and um, I know Philip for example you play Kingdom Death that's a miniatures game it's mm -hmm. a board game. So we have multiple interests and multiple different hobbies. I mean, right. It's not, we're not exclusive. Yeah, and they start to overlap each other and yeah. branch into each other. So that, yeah, natural progression. But um, so one thing you I mean you mentioned the terrain and stuff. A lot of it you use for the backdrop and stuff. Um, I'm curious. Do you? I mean, other than the commission painting, do you do the commission terrain as well with armies or? How do uh, you... I don't often. So there's there's several different ways that I make the big stuff. Um, the first one and how I got started was for Adepticon. I just wanted to make wild stuff. And I would take a month uh, off of work. I would pack in all this stuff and make the biggest thing I could and go to Adepticon. And that is where, like, if you come in my dining room, I have this, it's basically a gallery of eight of these eight-foot-tall displays. And that's where those come from. I have done a few where it is just where do you dine? Sorry, where do you dine if that's in your dining? Yeah, room? well, I still have a, a tiny kitchen table or a dining room table in there. Um, uh, with the next one, that's going to have to go though. <laughs> so stop eating after this year is that is that the thing? But the other one is uh, the other angle is I've done a few for companies. 
Um, and then the terrain for my photos is really just for fun. Like right now I'm doing a, a kind of Greek flavored Iron Hands army. And for it, I have this giant statue that I found in an antique store. Uh, that's just this, this Greek statue. And I'm going to convert that into a imperial base and uh, do some crazy stuff with it and use that for the photo backdrop. So it's not really, or if you've seen the Deadpool army, that had a specific mm-hmm. backdrop for that army. Sure. Uh, yeah. It was just for fun. It just makes the pictures better. So that's where all yeah. that stuff comes from. Nice. That kind of reminds me. We did. A, we just did an army with a, a Dark Angels army, and we did kind of a mini fortress as a mm. backdrop, mm-hmm. and it did. It really. It, it really sort of made them pop on the table. No. So I was real pleased. With and it. that's just something. It's. It's not only an excuse to have great pictures. It's also something that I enjoy doing. I can um, get up and do a few things on it in the morning. You know, all this stuff. This big building stuff sure. takes a long time to dry. So I'll go out and do a couple hours on it. And by the time I'm done with the army, I'm also done with the terrain. Um, you know, it's, it's mostly just for the fun of it. Where do you find like a lot of stuff? Cause I mean, I'll, <laughs> I see some, like, I've seen the golden throne. That's massive. It's got a bunch of different stuff like Gothic style. And then you've got like the, uh, blood pool army that looks, all that terrain looks like it was bought from, from somewhere. It looks really good. Um, so, the, like all the stuff on the golden throne, like the big statue I'm talking about with the Greek army, there's an antique store here. That is, it's, I'm lucky that I have one of those antique stores you normally find in a big city where it's not just old stuff, it's also off-the-wall stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I get a lot of it from there. And also, anytime I leave the city, like I leave Indiana, I try and stop at antique shops and craft, not craft, uh, with flea markets and things like that, and just and see wild things that I can find. And if I find something that, you know, I saw that Greek statue like a week before I started the army, I was like, I gotta have this, you know. I'm gonna take this home with me. That's really cool. Interesting. Right. Now, I do a lot of converting, and when I'm when I'm sort of converting models, like I'm always thinking about the materials that I'm using. To use the mm-hmm. Golden Throne as an example, or um, there was a, a Reaver you did a little while ago called the Radiant Child or the Radiant One or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of those pieces look like they're from like cherubim and kind of like you know angelic figurines are those made out of plastic or glass or plastic it, it really depends and that's that's kind of an interesting thing i don't get to talk about a whole lot when you sure. go and you shop for these things sure there's sort of this balance that you have to do of like cost usability right. size yeah, the detail sure. if Weight. it works Weight, <laughs> just thinking about you, like how heavy you can't really is. use a lot of glass no, so i'm only going to buy I've something i've never used glass actually I mean, I've used them for eyes on one project one time, but that was about it. Yeah, but like a big glass sculpture is going to be hard to chop up and use. But, okay. I mean, if it's a, if it's cheap, like if there's a dollar, two-foot-tall glass statue, I'm going to buy it anyway, and I might use it for something. So, okay. you know, it's just kind of – it's just constantly adjusting sort of – when I see something, I throw it into that scale, and I think, okay, I can use that. That's worth it. I'm going to buy that. So you probably just have a, a bin somewhere just full of knickknacks you've picked up over the years. Oh, I have make, a – well, I have – and go over later like the the space that i use but sure. in the garage is where i have just tons of random stuff very cool uh, and you've got you know angels and stuff without heads and i'll use their wings on something else and it's kind of i bet it'd be kind of creepy looking to somebody that's not used to it to just walk in well i mean my house is kind of creepy because you walk in and the golden throne's staring at you <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's uh so it's in summary creepy house in indiana like very good. <laughs> nice so um just kind of on that same topic, I think that people look forward to um, Adepticon every year because they like to see what you cook up. This year you kind of did, um, it was, um, what was that army called? The Charity Army? 
Yeah, well, yeah, there's the Charity Army, but it, I'm trying to think of the theme of the one this year. Mechanicum? Mechanicum, Mechanicum yeah. yeah. So it looked like a Mechanicum theme. So do you want to talk about that at all? I thought well, it was this really, year, like, you know, normally I do something really big for myself. This year sure. I wanted to kind of relax. Um, I want to do some stuff to the house this year. So Adepticon is, ex- I mean, I don't know if you can you tell from just looking the house, at the Golden like Throne. That is extremely expensive because I have to buy all that stuff, and I also t- have to take a month off work. Yeah, so. I didn't imagine it was cheap. <laughs> so this year I just wanted, I wanted to... I wanted to take the time off from doing that, but I also wanted to put a little bit of it towards the charity army to make it really over the top this year. Sure. Um, so it kind of went more towards a traditional uh, display. I'm also going to be able to bring that back. I can use it for photography if I want to. Sure. Um, so that was the reasoning behind that. I also got to work with Alex at Ironheart uh, Artisans. He's a laser cutting guy, and we're going to be working together a lot in the future to... This nice. summer, we're going to be doing a five-foot by five-foot enclosed Death Star hangar bay for a Star Phantoms army. It's basically like Stormtrooper-looking uh, Space Marine army. So five-foot by five-foot? Why so big? So you can fit the whole army in there. It's bazillion points. <laughs> oh I don't know if you've ever seen it. I, I think right. it's actually the picture that's on my website when you log in. There's this just giant, wide, white Space Marine army. Uh, it's the second half of that army that's just as big, so it uh, needs to be massive to fit it in it's there. It's like an actual chapter of Space Marines. Yeah. Roughly. Oh, good God. Yeah, we're looking at a picture right now. <laughs> that's only half of it? Yeah, we got another half coming. There's like five drop pods that are going to be going through the floor. There's going to be Storm Talons and racks like the TIE Fighters were in Force Awakens. Is Awake. this all one client? Yeah. That's quite a client. Yeah, well, I mean, it's I do everything from, you know, I talk big about the big armies and stuff. I do everything from 2,000 points up, and anything like that size is fun. But it's, it's, it's fun to talk about the, the big armies. I've got well, one. And we do some big armies for sure, but, I mean, that's like, the biggest <laughs> army we did last year was about 7,500 points, and that was massive. That was it is, that's, by that's far that was huge, the biggest yeah. army we'd ever done. You get kind of jaded. You're like, well, you know, 5,000 points is the, I would say it averages out to about 10,000 points, but you know, a 5,000 point army is still a huge army. Yeah, for sure. I've got one uh, here that is going to be started this year that is an ultramarine army that is so big that, you know, sometimes clients break stuff up into chunks like that army to make it a little bit more feasible. You know, you might not know everything you want in one go. Sure. Uh, but this army is so big that the assembly of the army is going to be one, like one chunk. And I'll start the painting next year. <laughs> wow. It okay. is. Uh, so these it, clients, uh, these guys, I guess, have long-term, certainly long-term loyalty, but these guys have long-term commitments because that's not like, for example, using the 7,500-point army we did last year, that was like uh, we did that, worked on that on and off for six months. Like that was, you know, some models came in, we'd build those, and then we just kind of held on to everything. So when you talk about doing a project of, of the magnitude you're just describing, where you do the assembly in 2016, <laughs> the painting in 2017. Clearly, this guy's not in a rush. Uh, or no, and that's yeah, that's like I said, we're we're talking earlier about carving out a space, and that is kind sure. of my thing. Is nobody that I, I I tend to work for a lot of repeat customers that want really big stuff. Yeah, and it is uh, you know it, and I also keep really backlogged, and that's not because I'm slow. Like you know. Nothing is, you mentioned you want to talk about the nights later. Nothing, that was the longest project I've ever done, and, and that was seven weeks. Because um, I'm painting constantly. I mean, it's no problem to pack 100 hours into a week. So um, it's not that I'm not painting a lot. It's that, you know, I get a ton of big armies back to back to back, and it's, it keeps going. So Sure, 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 sure. Well, why don't, why don't we talk about that project? Because okay. um, that was, 
you know, first off, that was a it was a massive project. Like twenty nine nights is just it's almost it almost <laughs> yeah. sounds like a joke. Just, you know, <laughs> yeah, it does. Like when you talk about like you know when I when I go to a gaming club, not that I go that much anymore, but when I do and I see five nights on the table, I kind of roll my eyes. I'm like, no, no, three fun. nights is a big deal. I mean, right, it's not three nights yeah. is a big deal. Five nights is kind of like all right, well, just have fun with that. But <laughs> twenty nine nights, it's not even practical. It's <laughs> like when you would when you would you ever use that. And the only well, thing I could even think of was like, all right, well, I guess your annual apocalypse game. Yeah. But I wanted to sort of find out, like, was this for multiple clients or was this like a group project or something? Well, or? the story is it started out as, if you look at that, they're split up into color schemes. Yeah, there's like five distinct, like, kind of chapters right. or something. So there was the five, there's eight Terran Knights. Five of those were the original, the first scheduled and booked project. Sure. Okay. And then I was five looking nights, at the, I can get behind that. So yeah. One client, five nights, that makes sense. And then um, uh, I noticed in the schedule, like two months later, there was a guy with a client with 14. And I thought, well, you know, these are two months apart. I'm going to be doing nights. Why don't I just be, make it awesome and put them together? Sure. Um, and then I had uh, a couple other clients that have been around forever. And I thought, you know, we're already doing 19 nights. Let's uh, actually, it's, it's five and 14, 15. We're already doing, yeah. And uh, so 20 nights, let's just see how many more I can, you know, throw in here. And I asked a couple of really long-term clients, you know, I'm doing all these nights. If you want to throw three, four, five in, uh, let me know what you want. And they not, did. Not if you want to throw one in. Yeah. If you want to throw three, four. The minimum buy-in is three. <laughs> five is the cap, though. We're not going to go crazy here. So that's Nothing the... silly here. 29 <laughs> is enough, I think. So that's where yeah. the other three set of three came from. Okay. So it was multiple clients, and mm -hmm. it was spread out over over a commission period of, of several months, and then you kind of lump them in together, and then you were like, eh, fuck it. Why don't we get nine more nights in here, too? Yeah. So you have some, some clients. Okay. So my guesstimate, then, is that you you, you probably have a... You, you service multiple clients, but they're probably long-term repeat clients. Yeah. So when new clients reach out to you about service, when you say your backlog, is your backlog, like, years I'm going to go with? No, it's, uh, it, it varies about nine to 12 months, depending okay. on... The time of the year kind of ebbs sure. and flows. Sure. Um, and there's also stuff like beyond that, like, you know, the client with the Ultramarines, this humongous Ultramarines army. That's technically going to be two or three years down the road. But in terms of the hardcore, like, I, you know, I can't do anything until, you know, this is the end of the line for getting stuff in. It's usually about nine to 12 months. Mm -hmm. okay. So does that mean that you have just your garage is just packed full of, of models from this guy? That won't be even be done till like 2017 or something. Like, do you uh, the Ultimate like... Marine Army? Yeah, sure. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Wow. It's, okay. I mean, some people, and it, and it varies depending on what they want. Sure. Like, I have a, a a few options when it comes to actually scheduling projects. Where, you know, if a person's not going to be playing with the army, they can just go ahead and send it to me. Sure. Uh, I get a lot of people that want to play with the army and play test it up until the moment they send it in. Uh, they know for sure. Like, that's the more competitive players. Yeah. So with you know, I have a very small deposit that you can send in, and you can just hang on to the models, and then when I, it's time to paint them, you can send them in. Makes sense. And then also, there's other people that um, uh, overseas. I get a lot of customers overseas, and they want me to purchase the models. Sure. So I'll do that for them. So those are the three main options that people do, and it's important to be flexible because not everybody. You know, if I said everybody needs to send their models in, well, those people that want to play test their army. Or want to have an army sense. to play with. And with a backlog of nine to twelve months, there's yeah. no benefit to you holding onto their models for nine months in a box. It's it's purely convenience. Right. Like if they right. obviously twenty giant shipping boxes is going to be more convenient for the guy here than in his apartment, so or his house or wherever. So right. 
I mean, when we like when we do a major project and I get it done, I'm, I'm pretty much ready to get it out of the studio because I I would I want the space. Like I want I want right. my I want the space back. I want to work on new stuff, and I don't want to have that room being eaten up by projects that are coming up. But yeah, well, I definitely yeah, keep it. You know, I have a lot of customers and I have a lot of projects, but it sure. is definitely a a one on one. Like the project I'm working on now, those Greek Space Marines. I'm not really touching anything else. I'll, you know, I'm working on these until they're done. Very cool. So that brings up another good question. Do you do like one project at a time? Yeah. Or is it more like, okay, so you don't like split your time between a couple no, of No, and I don't, and it's more like just because I'm an, I'm an obsessive person. Mm-hmm. When I get into something, I just, everything I do is constantly going. Like I said, I'm sure. always working, and it's just a matter of getting into something and doing it. I can't put something down and, 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 go do something else. I want to focus on that. And that's just me. There's nothing wrong with, I know that a lot of painters split their time up, you know, and one thing and one thing and thing. Like I do personally, I really enjoy yeah, that because I like to sort of stretch my, I don't like, I don't like to do just one thing all the time. I like to kind of sure. maximize that sort of stuff, but I feel you. But I know a lot of people that are just like that where they're like, look, I do one project, I get that done, I move on to the next one. And, and it's I also part of my scheduling. Like when yeah. I, when I schedule stuff, it is in blocks and, you know, I've got my calendar, and I put, okay, this is the time for this army. I'm working on this army then, and it's it makes me uh, a good judge of time, how long things are going to take. Sure. So that, no, that makes perfect sense. Because when you say it that way, when you're like, yeah, we did the, the twenty nine, well, I did the twenty nine nights in seven weeks. That sounds fast, but yeah, I guess when does. you think about that, you're applying all of your time to just that project yeah. and nothing else. That makes perfect sense. Like right. I, I could see how it's like. All right, I get that. I mean, and some fun, some fun anecdotes about that that I like to share. Imagine putting together six knights in assembly line. I don't want to. You're putting that. together, okay, the legs, <laughs> uh, all the little pistons, and all this. Sure. Do you, you do that for six of them in a line? Right now, imagine that for they're done. <laughs> now do that again. Right. And you're not even halfway done. Right. Yeah, that's insane. <laughs> that was pretty wild because I got there. I was at that point, and I was like, man. I'm not even halfway done. That was all the That's... most of the GW, GW nights, though. All the Forge World nights I put together. Like, there's four Ar- uh, Archeons. I never get the name right, but Lancers. There's four Lancers. I did put the get together the uh, Lancers all at once. So nice. It's pretty wild. Well, it was a, it was an amazing project. I mean, I will say that like you know, I don't not only just like the the scope of the project, but the detail level. Mm. Like Philip and I have talked about this a lot, and. and you know, methods notwithstanding, like you have a very signature look to your models. Yeah. And we wanted to talk with you a little bit about that and kind of, sure. you know, every, lots of different painters have lots of different techniques. Um, but when I see GMM studio models, like they just have a look to them. And I think, it, right. I think partially it has to do with like your, I would say your shading technique or, or sort of the way you define contrast and, 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 uh, and, and depth in your models. Mm-hmm. So can you sort of talk about that at all? So the the number one secret to that, and the very the most important thing to me when I paint a model is when I look at it, I don't want to see one layer or of how it was painted. Like obviously, you look at my models and you can tell they're painted. You know, you see marks and all this stuff. But like if you look at, at nature, like you look at a hillside or the side of a beach, mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to tell where you would start if you made all of that. And it's because there's multi, there's tons of itty bitty little layers. Sure. That add up to something. And, you know, you see a lot of people, and again, when I talk about other painters, I'm not, you know, bashing how anybody paints. This is my personal preference. We didn't think you were. Okay. (laughs) If you look at some people, how they paint, it is I'll bash people. I mean, I'm not not shy about that. I'll look at someone and be like, I don't like your work. But, like, you know, I'm not going to do that to your face right now. I'm going to wait till you get off. And then I'm going to talk some shit. Uh, But for now, no, I'm just playing. It's fine. 
But if oh, you look please. at if you look at how some people paint, it is a like you see a solid airbrush base coat, you get an sure. airbrush highlight, and the line highlights. Sure. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but to me, I look at it and I see how it was painted right away. And, you know, sure. like we were talking about photography. You can reverse absolutely... engineer that very quickly. Right. And there's nothing wrong with taking pictures of models in a light box. But for me, it just personally, that is my taste and my style. And so instead of doing five uh, huge, you know, five very big steps, I break it down into 20 tiny steps. Okay. And it, and it adds more flavor and, and layer to it. Well, it's definitely effective because your models kind of stand out. And I think that they, they do make an impression on the table. And it also, it, it helps with time. Like, it's actually slower and, you know, more um, difficult on you. Like, if I'm doing f 500 Space Marines, I would rather spend a day doing a little bitty step than five days, you know, a day for five little steps, than five days on one giant step. Kind of, okay. you know, does that make sense? It does, yeah, it makes okay. perfect sense. I mean, I think that, and this is something Philip and I have talked about a lot, is that, like, for lack of a better word, texture is the word I'm going to use to describe mm -hmm. this when you talk about multiple layers and right. making yeah. it hard to sort of reverse engineer things. Like, um, and, and obviously there's, there's ways that people kind of grossly apply those techniques in bulk. For example, washing is a good example. Mm -hmm. um, or, or dry brushing or, or whatever, or lining, you know, as you, as you sort of pointed out. These are ways to sort of pick out new aesthetics on a model and to make it look uh, like there's something natural to it. It's not just a flat color. The colors, you know, flat is, is the right word. It's not flat. Right. It's got a lot of depth to it. Uh, and whenever I look at your stuff, that's kind of what I see. There's there's a lot of stuff that's kind of a feast for the eyes. Um, so, yeah, I, I get exactly what you're saying. I mean, you can definitely also overdo it, but um, sure. there's definitely a sweet spot. And that's how I know when I'm, you know, when I'm done. And I'll, you, we can talk about levels and stuff if you want. But <laughs> for me, an army is done when I'm completely happy with it. I'm just, I can't sleep because I want to get up and take pictures of it. Okay. And there's no fault. So it so. sounds like, you know, obviously you're, you're certainly a perfectionist for sure. And you, it doesn't sound like, when you talk about levels, I guess, do you mean like how you paint in terms of paint levels? Because it sounds right. more like you sort of paint to, uh, like, okay, so let's say I'm, I'm a client. And I ask mm -hmm. for you to, hey, Brandon, I, I want you to paint me uh, 10 nights. I want 10 nights for me today. Mm -hmm. uh, how, how do you go about quoting that? Is it based on like your past experience it? Is it based on like quoting to a particular level that you paint to? Because it seems like it sounds like you just sort of paint until the model's done or in your opinion right. it's done. It's based on the color scheme because the, mostly the time and color sure. scheme because that's going to factor into the time. Okay. So however long I think it will take. Um, I'm not a person that keeps track of hours because it's just that's not what it's about for me. It's just sure. it's mostly fun. So yeah. I do what I'm happy with. Uh, I, I get to the end. I kind of look, okay, that's what I charge. It's, and yeah, that's right. You know, some, you know, it's a... Uh, so do you quote by the model or by the actor? Yes, every, it's definitely by the model. Whenever I do a big army, sure. you know, people would send me a list of models. And because a scout is going to be a different price from a uh, tactical marine, a tactical marine is going to be different from an assault marine. So armies are broken down completely model by model right. um, rather than a total. Because sometimes people will ask me, you know, I would like a 2,000-point Grey Knight army. What would that cost? And, you know, you could have a 2,000-point Grey Knight army of Terminators... Or you could have 
tons of rhinos and uh, power armor. So, but you know, you don't publish your rates on your website, I don't think. No, and that's just because it's you know that's impossible because it's again model by model, the whole entire range impossible. of GW and every other range. <laughs> I think that that just depends on the paint studio. We publish rates, and a lot yeah. of public no, a I lot mean, of paint studios. Do. You can, but it sounds like from your paint method, you it's impractical. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's a good word for it. It's there just impractical, go. and right. yeah, I can I can totally understand. Like I'm good friends with. Sean at Blue Table, we go back to like the nineties and he's definitely the type of person that can put out a list of prices because he sort of has like a He doesn't a, put out a list of prices anymore either. Oh he doesn't? I haven't been on there in a long time. But no, so clearly he used he, to. there's a little bit of an age gap with you two. I would say that like when you say you go back to the nineties. Like I I I've, like I've known him since the nineties. Oh, okay. So you met him when you were pretty young. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I started talking to him a long time ago and um what do you think about his? Uh, they're they're moving. I think we just talked to Matt a couple weeks ago, and uh, I think they're they're moving to somewhere else in Utah. They're just that seems like he's always moving. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. He's always uh, moving to. You a should new tell space. him Indiana's nice. Like, yeah. <laughs> it seems. I mean, I, would you tell me like with Indiana when I think about that? And maybe this is something in the Midwest. Maybe it's like you guys have like it's such beautiful landscapes out there. That's got to be inspiring, you know? Like it's got to help with like. Do you ever like draw from that? Do you draw from? I definitely, I guess, if you look, go back and look at a lot of my photography, sure. um, it's it's definitely, there are times, there's been a few projects that I've taken pictures of, and I'm like, man, I bet people think I green screen this, because it's so pretty out here. Oh. Uh, so, yeah. yeah I like it when you take your stuff outside. I think it looks nice. Yeah, it's it's definitely, um, it's definitely pretty in the summertime. We have horrible winters that last six months, and they're ugly. <laughs> but in the summertime, when it's nice, it's definitely beautiful. In the fall, people yeah. travel here for the fall, so... Well, to drill down a little bit, can you tell us a little bit about your, your highlighting and your shadow method? Because, again, when I look at your models, it's not that they're not beautiful. They, they absolutely are, but that seems to be a signature style that I can easily sort of pick out your models from a display on. Right. Like if I see your knight setting beside another guy's knight and I see the way you shadow and you, you sort of highlight your models, I can, I can easily pick out your model. Uh, and that seems to be sort of a trademark look. Um, so without, you know, revealing like trade no. secrets, can you kind of give us an idea of like how you establish that technique? And like... So to run down how I would paint a model, depending sure. on the color scheme, yeah, you'd start out, you know, with primer and a base coat, always base coat with an airbrush. I always yeah. at least do that. Sure. Sometimes I'll throw on a couple of uh, highlights with the airbrush. Not always. Sometimes it's solid. Um, and then I do a little bit of shading. You ever seen Wapple paint? I have. It's actually very similar to how Wapple paints. I, I was going to say it reminds like me Wapple, of that so. a little bit. But it, it is very similar in that he he will shade a little bit, highlight a little bit, you know, he go back and like, forth. Like you said, it's multiple. It's just hundreds of steps. It's like, yeah. but they're tiny steps. They're like, right. But now we shade this a little bit. Now we we bring this up a little yeah. bit. Now we bring this. And it's definitely bit. eyeballing it rather than like, okay, yeah. for it's every army hard. I do this exact sequence. Sure. For some armies, I will almost finish the main color before I do anything else, and some of them I just base coat the main color, and then do everything else and then come back. Sure. Um, And that was another question I think you were going to ask. I'm going to go ahead and hit it while I'm thinking of it. In terms of ordering, one thing that helps with my, you know, people say I paint really fast, but really what I do is one thing that people get bogged down on is they'll finish like a face of a model and then try and paint the rest. When really what I do is I, you know, do 20% of every color. Take every color to 40%, every color to 60%, and save the juicy stuff for the last because you're not, you're not going to get paint on a finished part. Um, mistakes can be fixed as you're going along in highlighting. I see. Um, so it's so, like the model gets finished. It's not like you finish an area. It's more like you finish 
the model all at the same time. Right. My models, it's funny, (laughs) my clients, I'm, whenever I send them images, I always tease them. I'm like, my painting is really, really ugly up until like the 80% mark. And that's when it gets really pretty because the final stuff isn't done until the very end. I do a ton of work on the underneath. Uh, and then you don't really see anything that's finished until the very end. That makes sense. Um, Philip, in your experience is that, I mean, I would say that's, that's similar for many painters. Yeah. Um, but I would definitely say that for like, when you talk about the Wapple style of painting, that definitely feels right for that. Mm. Yeah. Because he, he does a lot of small blends, a lot of small highlights and it adds up, like you said, to a very pretty final product. And it's really broad. Um, I, I, I even use a lot of the same brush. You see him use those big fat brushes and that's, I don't use a number one until, you know, the last 10% of a model. That makes perfect sense. So with that, do you do any sort of like painting competitions or is it more like painting for yourself or painting for clients? Just that's it. Like, do you ever like... So the only thing I do for myself really anymore is Adepticon and that's just because I stay so busy. That's sort of like my little work vacation. Uh, You know, vacation for a workaholic is more work, so... Sure. So uh, that's, that's the deal with that. With painting competitions, the problem is... I don't really have fun painting single models. It's, there's something about the big armies that's, that's it's more than the sum of its parts, and I don't get that rewarding feeling from, and that's just me, from a single model. Sure. Uh, I do know, I know Dave at Coolmini, and the owner, and I tease him all the time. I say, you know, you get some bigger display cases or, or have an uh, entry that's like three feet by three feet, and I'll enter some stuff. Because he always, <laughs> he always teases me back and says, you know, why don't you ever enter Crystal Brush? And, and that's why it's just my stuff's too big. And even even the armies on parade, that's only two by two, and you can sell a lot of tiles doing that. But I can't enter that. <laughs> Have you ever considered just taking a model out of that army and entering it? But the the model in the army is less than when it's not the whole army. For me, it's it's because I even when I pose models, it's it's within the context of the whole you army and the diorama in the wood. <laughs> I don't know. Do an Imperial Knight. There you go. There's, there are a couple of Imperial Knights. There you got squad and, and an army at the same time. Of them. After you do 29, one, just one night, it's like, eh. It's just I mean, it'd be one. fun. I don't, I don't I ever you. not enjoy painting anything, and I would sure. enjoy, uh, like, sometimes, you know, I'll paint local friends' D&D figures just for the fun of it. Um, and so I, I love it. But it's, It sounds like, for the most part, though, you kind of, like, your business model sort of is reflective of, big, you like big projects, you like big payouts, you like... You like to see the whole scope, and and for you, that's part of the reward. It sounds like right. Is it's that you like, want to be able to envision like it's a like whole a big action team. movie. Is how yeah, I, you know. that makes sense. And there's all sorts of different, um, you know, different uh, painters that do all sorts of different things, and that's would just my. Would you say painters that don't do whole armies are wrong, or would you say that they're more? Or I'm sorry. Whole, would you say that like the painters that don't do whole armies are missing out, or do you think that like no? Because uh, you know some people don't enjoy painting big batches. There's a lot sure. of painters that enjoy painting one model, and uh, that's and that's something that we can talk about when it comes to commission painting. There is an extremely low borderline no barrier to entry, so everybody can get in. So you need to have something that sets you apart. And for I me. Agree. What sets me apart is I do things that most people don't want to do. And it's because I genuinely enjoy them. I'm just weird like that, I guess. Sure. Well, it sounds like you've really taken your passion and you've turned it into a very, very successful way to sort of separate yourself from all the other commission artists out there. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, that's important if anybody, you know, is listening that wants to do commission painting. It's, it's, it's one of those things that's, it's very easy to get into. It's hard to, to stay in it um, because, and you get a lot, I get a lot of stories, and again, I don't like to talk about it because you don't want to bash anybody, but 
I get a lot of stories from other people. I say, oh, I sent this guy my army, and, well, he started painting it, and he got tired of it. Well, so, yeah, he's used to painting single models. Right. You know, it, mm-hmm. it sounds fun on the front end. You know, it, it looks like good money on the front end because it's a lot of models, but sure. it's also a ton of work, and you have it to is. love it. Yeah, Philip recently transitioned into full-time painting with me, so it's like you, you kind of got to go from just – Know, doing what you like sometimes to doing what you love all the time but it can right. be very intense yeah. it's a lot of work um, yeah. and i think your point about like the low entry no entry is very true because i meet guys all the time that are fresh out of college or even high school and uh they've they've painted some personal models but you know painting your own personal models and then suddenly your your friend asks you to paint 50 whatevers that you don't even like them Right. Uh, you have to kind of separate yourself from the from the product a little bit. And, so and what what I have going for me as well that helps me out as a person is I've done it so much that it's less than for me to paint my own stuff. It's more rewarding to paint for other people. That surprise of sending them pictures and you know getting what's in their head into reality that is something that when I paint for myself it's like okay I don't I don't have that anymore. So it's almost like now I have to paint for other people because it's more fun. Sure, um, makes sense. And here's an, here's an analogy that I like to use when it comes to painters because, you know, like I said earlier, people will ask me, what do you think of this painter? What do you think of that painter? The best analogy for painters is restaurants. Okay. You, think about, you think about restaurants, you have a scale, you have different scales, and within those you have different subsections, like fast food. You have the bottom end of fast food, or of, of restaurants, you have fast food. At the bottom you have McDonald's, and, but within fast food you can also have something like Five Guys, sure. which is pretty good quality hamburger for how fast you get it. Um, and so there's painters within that. And then above that, you have the sit-down restaurants. And at the mm-hmm. bottom of that, you have Applebee's. And at the top of that, you have a five-star restaurant in New York with where the chef is the owner and you have are to call you, ahead. Are you saying you're the chef in New York? I mean, so, I'm not. Is that where this analogy is going? Like, well, where do you place is, yourself? If you where, think where about are the you five on the food guys, chain? If you think about the five guys in Applebee's, sure. so, a lot of people would argue that five guys is better than Applebee's, and I would personally. Even though the too. business models are completely different. <laughs> I think I think I would agree with that for burgers. I don't think they have much variety of five guys. Well, yeah. That's true. Like all they have is burgers. But there's a lot of paint you know, you get painters that do single models and they do single quality and you get sure. all sorts of different things. And also yeah, you, you can't just look at a painter's quality. You have to you have to judge them as a person as well. Sure. Um, and some people just want McDonald's. That was that's really the point. Some people I need just to make want is, sometimes people just want a tabletop army tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. You could and put I'm not that the person a for that. And there's nothing wrong with that. And there's <laughs> some, some people <laughs> that want a, like you know, a, a single model painted to sure. a cabinet quality. Well, I think, I think what it sounds like is that you, you've got, you, you have kind of, I don't know what the right word is. You have that thing that you, there's, there's a, what's the, what's the word when people say they have a standard? Yeah, you have a standard. Yeah. Like you have standards that you sort of stick to. And if like, if a client comes to you and they're like, look, I have 10 RPG figures, they're probably not the right client for you. Right. If the client comes to you and they say, look, I have a thousand space marines and I don't mind how long. Well, it's more like I'm not the right painter for them and I'll suggest somebody. Sure, sure, sure. Well, that's great. I think every artist, I mean, any, any business needs to have their own standards that they're going to follow. They're going to adhere to, um, you've got your ethics or whatever that you're going to adhere to. And then you've got, I mean, we've talked with, we've talked a lot about different painters and some of them like, 
you know, like um, the, you know, some of the, I can't think of her name right now. The, the Pixies female. and Pixels? No. Oh. I was going to talk about like the higher end painters. The ones that do one figure a month, those kind of people. Oh, yeah. Like the, Carol Rudick. Carol Rudick and those kind of mm. people. You know, they're like, they're kind of the complete opposite of you. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they're, they're like one figure, one month, like 40 hours a week on it. And that's right. that's what they do. And that's how they, they like to, yeah. to do it. Because there's a lot of people out there. I mean, there's different customers and different yeah, clients. There's exactly. people that, that want to fill their cabinet with single models. And exactly. I, you know, they have no use for me spectacular figure yeah and it just sounds like that's just you know like you said that's not the right client for the right fit so right you have to find your niche so and another point is that i mean imagine if i i get i get people a lot that ask me for a single squad or a single model and you know i write an email and say oh i'm really sorry i want to but i i can't you know if you imagine the armies instead of being an army per client if suddenly that was completely blown apart into each one of those models or units in those armies was one person right that's a much larger logistical problem um, and that's what allows me to do the big projects is that it's, it's more, the, the logistics end of it is a yeah. lot easier. Well, it sounds like you've, you've really perfected the method of getting these big armies, you know, table ready in an economical and very aesthetically pleasing fashion. So yeah. you, you've, you've had a lot of practice at it and people that are looking for that should definitely come your way. So what's, what's next for GMM? Like where, what do you see, where do you see this year going? Do you have some cool projects lined up you want to talk about? Uh, well, in the short term, yeah, I've got the I've got that Greek army. I've got sure. the big Death Star. Um, That's going to be crazy. I can't wait to see that. Yeah. that There's awesome. actually a lot of instead of instead of a giant crazy display uh, once a year. This next year is going to be quite a few uh, photography backdrops and not, a little bit smaller, but definitely as wild and more of them. Cool. Um, Are you already planning for next year's Adepticon? <laughs> I think actually next year I'm looking at getting a booth. And I'm going to okay. bring back everything. Okay, cool. So nice. that that might be kind of fun because I've never had a booth. I'm usually oh, just kind of go and hang out and like talk to people. Sixteen hundred dollars. Yeah, it is I looked expensive. into it. They're not cheap. Hopefully, you can work out a deal with them. I mean, if you uh, give, if you do their 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 uh, you know charity army, you'd think that at the very least they'd be like, yeah, this is your table. Well, I mean, I don't want to say you know what I can get, but yeah, they're very nice people. I mean, I'm sure that. I've never really asked for anything from them, so, you know. Now, now it's time to cash in. Look, guys, they've been you eight armies in eight years. Daddy wants a corner booth. The charity army is just kind of, it's, it's, it's something fun. I can do whatever I want. Sure, it's sort sure, of like sure. the, uh, yeah. and really this year was the first time it's been really big because, I mean, I don't blame them for it, but I usually get it kind of last minute because the logistics of running Adepticon and it's like five people, so. Yeah, I think Adepticon has kind of become like the Comic-Con yeah. of gaming it's kind of it's almost it's almost out of control now it's it like is pretty you, wild the, the guys running you, it i know them well and they they definitely are they know I think what it's, it's doing hard when they're when the con gets that big because you obviously you want it to see keep growing but last year at, at um not adepticon because I, I i i haven't heard anything negative about it but at comic-con people would come back and be like it's too big like i yeah. actually didn't enjoy myself there's too many people uh, well it definitely has room right. to grow in the hotel so well, and that's great. And, you know, I, again, I've never been out to Adepticon, so I've only heard heard of the stories, but it sounds amazing. I can't wait to finally see it myself one of these days. So maybe this year, maybe we'll get to see your all your yeah. displays come back for one. That's a good reason to come back next year. Yeah, it's definitely fun. It's kind of like my home base. I always go to it. Like this year, I'm not – last year I went to four or five cons, and I think this year I'm just going to stay home and focus on work and uh, makes, makes sense. do the displays and stuff. And But I'll always go to Adepticon if I can help it. Well, Brandon, you've been super generous with your time this afternoon. We really appreciate talking to you. It's it's really great to see this in depth look at GMM Studios, how you got how you operate, 
get, get kind of a, a snapshot of, of uh, how you work, how you work with clients, what your favorite sorts of commissions are. Um, and I think this, you know, this will definitely interest a lot of people is to sort of see behind the scenes at GMM. So yeah, thank it was, you so it was much. definitely fun. I appreciate it. It's not something I get to talk about a whole lot. So it's awesome. always fun to talk about. Yeah, definitely. Well, guys, hang on just a second and we'll be right back after this. Let's be honest, you'd rather be playing than painting. Let White Metal Games take the hassle out of painting and assembling your miniatures. We have a team of dedicated professionals who will make sure your miniatures stand out on the tabletop. Contact us at info at whitemetalgames.com. White Metal Games. Put your minis where your mouth is. Hey guys, welcome back. We're going to jump into our one-minute rant or gush this week, and I'm going to let Philip start it off this week. He's got uh, something that I think is going to be interesting to you. So, Philip, what, what do you got this week? Well, um, I guess my gush uh, really is just I'm excited two, for the two new... Two gushes in a row. Two, two... Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a rant and a gush. I think you're going to rant on that. I am what definitely going to rant. <laughs> I'm feeling I'll ranty. do the gush. Um, so, the new uh, Space Marine anniversary, 30 years, uh, is coming up. I was not really into Games Workshop um, on the 25-year anniversary, so apparently they do this like every five years, I guess. It was a different. It was another Crimson Fist five years ago too. Yeah, I think I, I do remember the model or seeing it. So this is a remake of the original, though. For the 30-year, they're doing a remake of the first Space Brain ever made, um, and they've brought it into modern light. So it's got sure. all the 3D uh, rendering, and it looks it looks really clean and crisp. Um, it's a cool model. It's unique. I'm actually impressed that that was the original style. That it's actually I feel more unique than some of the newer stuff they come up with. All the new Space Marines, they kind of seem stagnant. So this one has more yeah. like it's dynamically posed. Yeah, very for dynamic. sure. It's got like it's rifled down, like he's kind of stalking forward. Maybe like I don't know. It, it almost feels like a sniper. He's about to breach into a right. room or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely got a dynamic pose for sure. And like you said, they're using the most advanced technology they have available today. They're using. Yeah. Uh, they're using um, like their new, you know, CAD, I guess, CAD, CAD to design CAD. it, and then they use plastic vacuum seal molding to sort of cast or whatever. And so, yeah, it, it's a superior product for sure. Certainly. Now, the the rant side of it being, well, it's <laughs> fucking thirty dollars. Yeah. So let's call a spade a spade here. It's one marine, and he's thirty dollars, and he's hardly, yeah. he's not even a commander. He's like hardly that thing. And, and it kind of reminds me of the white dwarfs from back in the day. Whatever year they'd release the white dwarf. And I think you normally would get them for free as an exclusive part of your subscription to White Dwarf. Um, but, you know, this feels a little like a money grab to me. I mean, yeah. for one thing, it's another Crimson Fist. Not that you have to paint him as a Crimson Fist, but, like, look, I get it. Uh, I do feel crazy old now that I realize five years have passed since the last one. That's just insane mm-hmm. to me. Um, but, yeah, $30 for one clan pack Marine? Give me a break. Like, even if you reduce that to, like, a special exclusive price or something like that. I guess the idea being that, like, they want to make it a collector's piece, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's hardly a collector's piece. It's, like, it's not like it's on, like, like, when I look at a Forge World collector's piece, they're on dynamic basing or they're standing on, like, a plinth. This is just, like, a a 32-millimeter plastic base. It's, like, you know, Johnny the Robot, he's going to get lost in my regular squad of Marines. Yeah, it's not um, something I think you would just stick in your army. No. You, you never notice it. It would just be like, all right, well, that's cool, I guess. And I don't know why they wouldn't have done it, like, maybe in Pewter or something like that. Like, sort of a classic throwback. If you're going to throw back, throw back, baby. Like, don't go, <laughs> like, give me something hefty, something that feels like it's got some weight to it. Yeah. Um, but I feel it's, you. Um, 
it, it's a cool model, it's but uh, for the price point, I'm not so sure I, I would go for it. Now, you do, I think, get it for free if you spend at least $165, which then again, we're going back to the money grab thing. Sure, it's just sure, like, sure. all right, well. And don't get me wrong, like, I'm never going to be that guy that says GW is a money hungry company. I don't think they are. I think they're a successful business, mm-hmm. and I think that part of being a successful business is your prices go up mm-hmm. when your client base improves. And I think that's just how it is. I don't, I don't think they're any more money hungry than, let's say, you know, the uh, Apple company is when they charge me fucking 100 oh $500 for a phone. Yeah. Like, I get it. It's a mini portable computer. But you know what? That thing costs more than a basic laptop. It costs more than yeah. pretty much any computer my wife has bought the last five years. So don't tell me that that thing is a superior com- It's not. It's like, it's a money grab. So I feel like, the, you know, GW is kind of the Apple of miniature companies, um, I guess to put it in context. But yeah. that being said, 30 years in business is a lifetime in a miniature industry. I yeah, do think is. they should celebrate that, and I think a commemorative model is great. Um, I, I wish it had been something different, but that's okay. Not the end of the world. Um, maybe a white dwarf, but um, I don't know. So, All right, so you got both sides of it, the rant and the gush. Um, hang with us for just another minute. We're going to take a quick break, and when we jump back in, we'll uh, jump into our outro, and we'll tell you what's coming up in our next episode, and we'll be right back after this. Are you a tabletop quality painter in the Raleigh area with 10 hours or more a week to spare? Have you ever thought about becoming a commissioned painter before, but you weren't sure it was right for you? White Metal Games is looking for talented painters in the Raleigh area to join our studio team. You're paid by the job, not by the hour, so you can paint at your own pace. Send us pictures of your painted models to info at whitemetalgames.com, and we just might be interested in speaking with you. Put your minis where your mouth is. All right, guys, that takes us to our outro. We are out of here this week. Next time on the show, we're going to be talking with Reese of Frontline Gaming. (laughs) These guys are, uh, if you don't know who Frontline Gaming is, you should definitely get with the know. These guys are a group of, uh, they're they're everything. They're a commission service. They're a train building service. They also run the LBO. Uh, do streaming, do like streaming game nights and stuff. Regular it's... battle reports. These guys are very avid community goers. Yeah. Um, they're hobbyists. They're um, they do their own stuff. Um, they run their own tournaments. And, and most importantly, I think that <laughs> their, their, their biggest you know thing the last couple of years has definitely been Fat Mats. That was kind of their contribution mm-hmm. to the industry. Um, other companies have kind of followed suit and borrowed from that, but they were the the progenitors of the Fat Mat idea. And it's basically a giant mouse pad like textured mat for gaming it's great basically they roll up easy they roll up easy they're they're economical Mm -hmm. they stay save on space they clean easily they're cheap for what you when you really rule it out the hundred dollars for a six by four isn't bad yeah when you You compare compare it to like the hundreds you probably pay for either a custom built one or doing it yourself and the headache of that or both like buying a you know a gw board which is like 350 dollars, then having to paint it yourself and stock it Mm -hmm. with whatever so you know um and people stuff's always sliding down the gw board nothing's really going to slide down these um, yeah, it does. Has like it actually creates friction with the models and stuff. Sure. It, it's nice. Uh, we've been talking to them about a lot of different ideas, and we're hoping to sort of um, uh, get their opinions on some partnering ideas coming up in the near future. Uh, more on that as it develops. But for for now, we're just going to provide you with a link to Frontline Gaming. You can find them on Facebook. Um, they just got back from Adepticon. We're very eager to hear back from Reese on all of the Adepticon goodies that went on this year. Um, and hearing you know from Brandon from GMM today. 
Like, it definitely seems like Adepticon's the place to be. Yeah. Like, maybe we're going to have to see if we can't broadcast live or something out there. <laughs> there you go. Be kind of fun. Like, commentators. There's supposed to be, like, hundreds of booths. I mean, they have yeah. every different tabletop game. Sure. I mean, I, I was reading on someone, I think it was Warple. He, I mean, he's obviously... Fin- but, uh, wow. An amazing painter. Uh, yeah. Very, very gifted. But um, he said he tried going to, like, all the different places. He only saw half of what yeah. he was looking for. So It's kind of, yeah. I mean, it, it is it is absolutely the biggest convention in Warning, mm-hmm. for sure. Easily. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it, it is the mecca to go to. But tickets aren't cheap that you, you, you get charged mm-hmm. a pretty penny for it. So if you're going to go, it's like it's like Disney World. Be prepared yeah. to spend. Hopefully you have family there. You can just right. bump, bump We do know off. somebody. We know, I know a couple people in Chicago, and we may have to, like, crack yeah. them up. Yeah, I'll have to. Roll them out <laughs> on their floor. Uh, so more on that next time. Um, for this week, uh, my name is Caleb Dill with Light Metal Games. I'm Phil with Brushwork Minis. And until next time, put your minis where your mouth is. Thank you.